welcome back to the Dark Rhino Security Podcast. Today, the team sits down in the studio to talk about data loss prevention and what that means for an organization that's looking to take it on. Sitting down today, it's myself, Jake Furr. Uh, this is Jack Thomas. I'm the uh, senior technical engineer over here at Dark Rhino. Uh, Nick D'Amato, director of cloud security. Zach Lawrence, sales and business development manager. All right. Let's talk about DLP, the kinds of DLP at rest. Let's talk about storage, or I guess that is at rest, data at rest. Yep. Network DLP, let's talk about. All right, so data loss protection, a proper data loss protection program. Is it protection or prevention? You can go both ways, right? It, it's technically it's data loss prevention, and then you'll also get the mix-up of people saying data leakage or yeah. data leak prevention. Data, data copy prevention. Yeah, data copy. DCP. DCP. Mm. Yeah. It really <laughs> should have been data copy alerts. Yeah, no, we never actually got to blocking. That is one thing you can include is that everybody wants to Im- input uh, a DLP program, but very rarely do, do people actually get to the blocking phase of it because you you spend so much time trying to tailor your policies to get rid of false positives that you very rarely get to the point where you're actually, actually blocking things because there's so many things coming in well and 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 one of the one of the struggles that i think really every organization has to address is by its nature dlp as a programmatic thing in your organization not as a technology is intended to restrict the movement of information which is going to categorically it is going to impact your business period so we have to talk about this as a you know a a risk reward situation right don't do it have certain amount of risk, do it, have a different amount of risk. Hopefully, the risk that you incur by implementing DLP is going to be sufficiently large that any minor business disruption that comes about as a part of that is is worth it, right? That's your, yeah. That you're, you're getting some kind of benefit for it. But it is absolutely it. I mean, organizations spend months and years tuning. And I'm, I'm doing the errors quote thing here, right? So they're tuning or they're enhancing or they're modifying their DLP program so that it's it's going to get only information of value. But really, if it is only getting information of value, you're missing a lot of other information that is of value that is just not going to fit that pattern. Um, because there's just there's too much information in organizations generally right. that is sensitive. Uh, so you, you either have to cast a wide net and catch everything, but you're going to get a lot, of, a lot of false positives, or cast a very narrow net and only address one specific area of the business, and you're going to miss a lot of other content. Hmm. Social security numbers are nine digits. A nine-digit number, sure, I can say it has to be separated by hyphens, but then somebody sticks periods in instead of hyphens or puts space ends, and it's no longer going to catch that. And as soon as you say, well, you can use look at periods or spaces or hyphens, then there's some other way. They can put space in between each character. Yeah. And, and you start to – users, if they know what they're doing, can get around DLP pretty commonly it's not it, it's not intended to stop the intentional leak uh hopefully it'll catch it but it's not a very good job to stop yeah it. that that's actually so if if you don't mind me interrupting that's that's my favorite part about dlp is one thing that a lot of people don't realize is that a data loss prevention program is not really like a surefire way to stop data loss um a lot of a lot of management a lot of people have the wrong impression of of really what it's supposed to do which sure yes the goal is to stop data loss Largely, a, a data loss prevention program is is acting as a deterrent for your staff and people to let them know that you're watching specific types of activity. Yeah. And just that knowledge of, hey, they're watching if I'm sending confidential stuff out via email, whatever, or, you know, 
drawings or, or things that are really pertinent to IP for that company. Mm. Um, once people know that you're watching, you're going you're gonna to see a huge decrease in the amount of things that you're doing. Here's the deal. Bad actors are going to find a way to, to steal stuff. I mean, yeah. they're, they're, you're always going to find a way if you are a person who's trying to truly steal data out of a company to do it. What, the, what a data loss prevention program really is for is A, for metrics, for management, because it's a great system to show you how many things are coming in and, and getting flagged, where your biggest issues are. But, but furthermore, it's, it's really just an educational thing for your users to say, hey, you're doing a lot of stuff this way. This isn't super safe for our company, and just to yeah. let you know we're watching when you do this. So that'll curb like the 98% of the people who are actually using it innocently. Right, right. Um, so I was going to ask, in you know, obviously it's, you're preventing data loss. Does the data loss come majoritarily from... Majoritarily? That's not a word. I'm pretty sure it is. Majoritarily? Definitely, definitely not. not a word. Definitely not a word. I like it. Keep it in. Definitely not a word. You could say super a majority not a of the time. Majoritarily, does that happen by <laughs> employees leaking information, whether it's intentionally or not, or does it happen by people, you know, phishing attacks or data breach, that kind of thing? So, so more often than not, these are simple mistakes that your everyday user has made. Okay. Their husband left their credit card at home and he wants to buy a pizza for his team. So you shoot over via email your credit card credentials. Uh-huh. That's a that's an example of a, a quick thing that a data loss prevention program is going to see a credit card number or something like that and flag it in the system. Okay. It's little stuff like that where people have done certain things. It's usually a cultural shift. So another thing about a DLP program is it requires a big cultural shift. With a, yeah. a, a customer that I worked with in the past, they, um, you know, they had a really huge issue with this bring-your-own-device type culture where they didn't provide company flash drives or external drives or things like that. And everybody just sort of brought their own devices to the company and yeah. were able to plug in a USB device and throw whatever they want on it and take that wherever you go. So if, you know, you leave that behind at a coffee shop or whatever, you, you're potentially leaving behind, uh, you know, pertinent confidential pertinent information. information. Um, so really what you, the second thing I really want to address with a DLP program is that you need to provide a solution if you're going to take stuff away from the customers. And I think this is another big fail for companies that are trying to implement a data loss prevention program is that. If you're going to say, as a company, we're going to move forward with a cloud-type program like a Box, OneDrive, whatever, all you know, right. G Suite, all of these cloud services that are out there, if you are, as a company, saying that this is the route that we want to go, we only want to use Box now or only want to use OneDrive, then you need to find a solution for those people that are using USB to actually get off of that, and yeah. you need to provide the right amount of education. Start so using the program. Exactly, right. So education isolate. is a really big gap right there that a lot of other companies also lose focus on is that you need to give them the tools so that they can stop doing what culturally they've done for the past 10 years before yeah. all of the cloud stuff has existed and, and move on to the right thing. So, so when you talk about one. opening doors for users, uh, do you find the most success in user education, technology solutions, policies and procedures. How does that kind of stack up? So it all depends on how you kind of start out. So every DLP program that, that you implement is going to have an out-of-box policy that you can just apply to say, you know, catch PII. So, you know, catch people's social security numbers, date of birth, those types of things. There's out-of-the-box solutions that you can that you can put together. What you really want to do is right off the bat, you also want to have some custom things. So if I know that we have some sort of file extension name that we send back and forth that's always confidential, you want to start to custom tailor those policies 
um, to include that within your, your DLP scope. Um, so that way, each time it comes through, you're automatically flagged um, as, as sending confidential information. Looking at, looking at false positives, the really the most important thing to, to do is to, un, is to find legitimate positives and then understand from the business why that's a legitimate thing that happened and was it necessary for business to function. So you work for a manufacturing company and you have determined that your 3D image files, your AutoCAD files are, are sensitive or intellectual property in some capacity. So you have to send those out to somebody to manufacture or to your different departments. And if those can't move through email, you come up with this situation where you say, you can't send this document, you can't put it on a, on a flash drive, you can't put it on this, but the business demands that it gets sent to a different party than the person who created it. It doesn't just live on that one computer forever. Bingo. Right. And, uh, and so you, ha- you might find that your policies are just too restrictive to enable business to be effective. So comes back to that whole thing we've talked about in previous podcasts. It's create policies that are practical, right? Like that's the number right. one thing. If you create a policy, that kind of happy medium between with. still functional, but not totally restricting on Absolutely. business activities. And that's why that education piece is so important without, yeah. without a program to tell people, Hey, you know, you can slap them on the wrist and say, don't do that, but you need to provide them a way to say, if, if we're going to tell you, you can no longer you can't do it this way. We should be, how you, yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. You to need to put just as much time in the educational it. piece to it. So what have you seen expedites user adoption the best? Because that it, it seems like ignorance over malice is more prevalent, right? Uh, I would say a good educational program, honestly. Um, any, any DLP rollout should start with a full-on educational program on what, what DLP is, what we're after, why this company actually cares about their intellectual property or whatever they're trying to protect. So you need to educate your user base on, on why that's important and what's at stake. And then again, if the main goal of the DLP program, usually they're not being put in with no goal in mind. The companies are deciding to implement a data loss prevention program because they've experienced some sort of data loss in some sector or they know that they're kind of vulnerable. So you really need to find out what's important to them to like, for example, if they know that there's a lot of people out there that are using USBs within their organization that are completely you know, uncount- unaccounted for, that might be something that they want to focus on. So if their replacement strategy is going to be something like a box or a OneDrive or a Dropbox, then you need to provide the proper education for those users to start using that tool instead of the thing that they were doing. So you really can't start to get out of the false positive realm until you've actually truly educated your users to hop off of the thing that they were doing that they never even knew was technically wrong. So, you know, and another thing I think that a lot of organizations make the mistake of is, you know, in my experience, or culture shifts and organizations start from the ground up. They start from the low level and they move upwards, but they die very quickly when your most senior levels of leadership, your C-suite, your, your VPs, your EVPs, um, your, your board of directors don't support that culture shift. So it's kind of a, a two-headed uh, snake there so you've got it you've got to you've got to address this by getting buy-in from your most senior levels of leadership and then you have to start that grassroots culture change of yeah we're going to handle with sensitive the, the first level yeah we're going to handle sensitive information in a certain way um, it's never it's it's always felt as draconian I, I know everybody here has had a, a job somewhere has worked somewhere in their career where they have been told that this is the new policy and this is the way we're going to do things and it's just it just seems 
unreasonable. Right. It's just, that immediate I mean, eye roll. And Jack said it earlier, why is always more important than what. If you explain people why you're doing something, the what becomes pretty irrelevant. Correct. I mean, absolutely. And that's, that's what I'm saying. You know, so you get the leadership to agree that when you get everyone on board with the why we're doing this, they're not going to say, no, no, we don't agree. Uh, but then... And then you bring it up from the bottom, and you encourage the lowest level of the, of the organization to be participatory and engaged, right? which requires a lot of finesse. So that's another, so another huge major failure of data loss prevention programs anywhere is that, and this is security 101. I mean, you have to put a, a customer service person in as your DLP program manager because yeah. DLP is not a hands-off security tool. You are contacting customers all day emailing, Skype, whatever, how, reaching out to users all day to talk about their usage. And we're all in security, so we know that many of us don't want to talk to customers. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, if you have an engineer in there, I mean, they're, you know, they're not people-oriented people. So when, when a DLP program fails a lot as well is that you don't put the proper person in place that can go out and speak to everyday users without, you know, laying down a whole bunch of layman terms and all of that stuff. So, um you really need to have that customer service mm-hmm. aspect in it. That's actually why I personally really like it is my background bridges a lot from tech with customer service. So in security, this is one of the most hands-on customer service centric programs because each day you're reaching out to so many different people. Right. And, and often, again, it's, it's very rarely am I reaching out to them to tell them what they're doing is malicious and yelling at them. It's really just educational, which is a super cool thing in security to know I'm not doing this to yell at you and tell you that this is pointless. I'm trying right, to educate right. you. Hey, I saw that you're doing this just to let you know we could do it this way, this way, this way. If you have any more questions, blah, 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 blah. And you get to form these relationships with those users. And that also, if you're implementing this program pretty early, that gives your security team a really good um, impression to the rest of your users that you guys aren't just coming from on high and dropping rules on them. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. You, I mean, you catch more flies with, with honey than you do with vinegar. Flies or bees? Flies? Yeah. Cool. Um, One of them. Sure, <laughs> both, I think. Uh, so outside of just a, a, a robust education program, what sort of incentive programs have organizations implemented to get user adoptions as opposed to just being purely punitive? Well, so it's really hard to incentivize good behavior because to a DLP program, doing everything right looks like you're doing nothing at all. Right. So if I never send an email, I won't breach the DLP policy. And also, if I send a million emails and don't breach, breach a DLP policy, then I've done equally well as far as the DLP program is concerned. So it is difficult to incentivize good behavior when it comes to DLP. Uh, there are ways where you can where you can reward teams that have the lowest threshold of, of incidents or where you can reward, you know, employees for going through training and becoming a, uh, you know, a, a, again, air quote here, super user or, or a tech chair or, or some variable kind of title where they have, where they have been given some sort of responsibility to buy into this and encourage them to be an evangelist for security as well as DLP and their teams and their departments and their building their office wherever they may be. Uh, that's that's one that organizations tend to overlook. You know, you see these phishing campaigns. You fail phishing campaign once. You fail phishing campaign twice, and you're fired or you're you know you're docked a va- vacation day. You know, one of the one of the things that I was uh, I was I was sitting at a talk at a, at a conference maybe a year ago and someone was saying that they that their organization took an entirely different approach and that was for every time that you reported a phishing attempt through the phishing campaigns you reported that to, the, to their phishing email forwarded you know report phishing at whatever xyz.com um, that t- that entered you into a raffle for a chance to win 
different prizes and every quarter they changed you know $100 gas gift card $100 restaurant gift card I think that I think the person who won the year long one got $1000 I mean that's an incentive to look intently at what you're look at your what your emails are showing you question that every one of them and send an email and say hey I think this might be fishy no pun intended you intended don't lie I I absolutely didn't <laughs> but I love that it happened I've received two phishing attempts by text in the last 24 hours. One yeah. that said PayPal assist at something something dot com, and then another one uh, Apple login. It's both asking me to log in real quick. Something's wrong with your account, yada yada. But I'm just more used to seeing them from email. I don't think I've received many text phishing attacks in the past. Yeah, no, I mean that's one of the reasons why I really like password managers. You know, kind of turning off of um, off of DLP for a moment or single sign on, right? Because if you're using a password manager and you go to what you think is the Apple website to sign in because you've been phished, it's not going to populate because the password manager is looking at the URL. And so right, right. if it doesn't populate, that should be a, wait a second, something's not right here. Check again, right? And single sign-on is awesome because I go to this site, I don't even know my password, my username for it because I'm going through single sign-on and it didn't redirect me to our company's single sign-on page. You know, and if it does look like the single sign-on, that's that's you know somebody who's targeting your organization. You know, that's a, obviously a concern because you could expose credentials to a lot of systems at once. So th it doesn't relieve the need for a user to be engaged in what they're doing, but it does help, right? Because if you clicked on that and you have you know an iPhone, your Safari has your password for your Apple ID stored, or right, whatever, right. Pull it up; it doesn't auto-populate. You you might think, well, what's going on here? Yeah, okay. it's it's that stop and be critical of everything you do. Question everything. Trust no one. Question everything. That's security. <laughs> Classic security. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, trust but verify. I think is a better is a better um, a better approach. And that, that that comes back to the DLP thing, right? You got to trust your users are doing what they what they're doing because they believe it's the right course of action or because they believe it's necessary. Uh, when you see that the things are happening that aren't supposed to be happening or that you believe are against written policy that gives you an opportunity to follow back up with those users and say, why is this happening? Instead of you're doing this and it's wrong. Or my favorite is uh, the worst feedback in the world is you're bad and should feel bad, right? Those, <laughs> that kind of feedback is not actionable. They can't get better. So start with understanding where they're coming from. Seek to understand before you seek to be understood. And then you, you, can, you can really bridge that gap between security and your users. Or as Jack calls them, customers, because they are insecurity they're our customer right you're you are providing a service to the business yeah absolutely so how much of a dlp program is is targeted towards internal company users as opposed to your outside malicious actors because like does the dlp program incorporate your firewalls your your endpoint protection and all that jazz or is it much more internal policy internal uh education internal tools it's going to be all internal okay yeah so i mean Everything you do in security is to prevent the loss or leakage of, of sensitive information, right? So in, I guess in some capacity, everything is DLP. Um, but but factually, DLP, when you talk to a security you know person, it, it, it is a specific item. So if everything's DLP, nothing's DLP? There we go. Right. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the external piece of that, too, is, you know, let's, let's use um, Box, for example, or something like that. DLP is catching when one of our internal users maybe sends an email out to a competitor with some, you know, valuable IP that now has leaked to another another customer. What we could replace that with instead is to have them use a program like a box or a Dropbox 
to instead of using regular email, hey, let me drop you a secure link that's only a one-time link that can't be forwarded that I can control your rights over and that has an audit trail behind it so that that way that's a completely secure link that you're sharing that IP. Again, it's just an educational conversation. Hey, I saw that you sent this over email to Jim at Gmail. Probably not super safe. In the future, let's let's walk through how you can do this in OneDrive box, whatever. So it's that again, that's that customer service aspect. And that's why getting the, the education at the beginning of the program is so important because you can tell the users, hey, we went over this a couple months ago in case you've forgotten. Here's the steps on how to do this instead of just saying use OneDrive or use box, blah. You talk about why it's important not to plug your mobile phone into your computer just to charge it. If you want to do that, get one of those, um, you know, the, the devices that you plug your, your charging cable into and it, it prevents sync because it only passes the power cable yep. components through. Uh, those are those are huge and and pass those out hand them out to your employees and say hey this will protect your phone from us it'll protect us from your phone it's a two-way street there right so realistically when when you talk to to folks in the IT community and and to your client base how long does it take to go from hey I need a DLP program to an actual mature smooth sailing DLP program years depending on the size of the organization i mean obviously smaller companies are going to be easier um the types of devices they're using is also important all of all of those types of things are to consider um if they already have a good culture in place i mean if they've already switched over from using usbs and now they're using a cloud solution like OneDrive or something like that those are opportunities that you don't have to necessarily involve that education piece as much but for those companies that maybe have existed for a while doing everything quote wrong um that's going to take a lot longer because you really have to spend a, a much longer time on that educational piece and that educational piece is twofold a again like i said you can point back to that educational piece later down the road to help educate your users but it also covers your butt later too because you can say you know when you have some of those users that might say well what do you mean usb is blocked we've you know we've never this is the way we've always done exactly it. you can say well actually you know over the past couple of months we've done this educational program and had it got to everybody you had to complete it because we gave you a quiz or, or something like that, because you can enforce these types of things on users as well. Um, so just kind of, it's a kind of a twofold thing where you can get that education out, you can point back to it, but it also covers your butt for later for when those customers are like, some of those, you know, customers that refuse to change are like, well, no, we've always done it this way. And it's like, yeah, but we've been telling you for six months that it's no longer going to be that way. So, well, and, and is better than or typically. So it's onboarding and, you know, semi annually or annually just as, as friendly reminders or additional education. Updates on policies. Et yeah, yeah, certainly. Uh, just the practical situation of it is, is that you, you're going to have to target one of those first because you're often only going to have one resource or maybe two resources. But it, we back to how long it takes. It's it's a, you know, in my experience, it's an 18 month project pro- project to uh, to get it stood up and collecting valid information, and then you're looking at somewhere between six and another 12 months to start moving and phasing in blocking activities. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it. it Definitely, like I said, it requires a lot of finesse. It requires a lot of customer support. It by no means is any is is one of those security um, implementations where you turn it on and you can kind of walk away. It's I mean, it's an everyday thing. You need a right amount of staff to do it. I mean, if you're a company that's a that's a decent size, any way that you start out a DLP program is you throw out a big net at first, just to see everything that's coming in. So you essentially open up out of box and you turn everything on, and you're all of a sudden you have a million alerts. Now, 99.99% of those are not going to be malicious. You're just throwing out a, a wide net to, to help narrow down what those false positives are. Um, so it certainly can get shorter, but I mean, I, I would agree with Nick. It's, it's usually around a year to a year and a half before you're really set up to start 
start catching the realistic things. And then even then, I mean, things are changing so fast that you really have to adjust. So how, how problematic and impactful is it uh, when the IT community itself is, is so consultant-laden and given the fact that security unemployment is negative and is projected to be that way for the near future? So the fact that you know folks working in a DLP program, standing that up, can pretty much dictate where they want to work and how much they want to get paid, or they're on a contract and there's there's less of that perceived loyalty with, with the actual client. I mean, I think that that's one of those things that can derail uh, any security or IT project for really if you if you have your, you know, your primary assets, your primary resources are are prone to leaving and security is one where they're being engaged. I mean, you're, you're having recruiters reach out to people constantly saying, hey, I've got a better gig, I've got, a, I've got more money, I've got this other opportunity for you. And in regards to uh, kind of hitting back earlier too with the incentive thing, it, as Nick said, it's, it's really hard to incentivize the users behind DLP, but leadership loves a program like DLP. And, and one of the main reasons is it's really tough to pull accurate measurements out of a lot of security tools that, that an executive level person can truly get a hold of. They can, they can read, uh, you know, I've always gone under the impression if you're presenting to executive leadership, you, you have to act like you're presenting to a five-year-old. Well, the, the DLP is a great way... <laughs> Is it because it has to be simple or because they have a 10-second attention span? Yes. <laughs> Maybe both. <laughs> a little bit of both. <laughs> Maybe yeah. por qué no experience. los dos. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you really have to it, – it, it can pull reports that are super easy to read. It can give you a good scope of where problems are within your company. And, again, it's acting as a deterrent so that you can, you can try to fix those problems via other means. But I know in, in regards to places that I've implemented DLP at before – one of their main purposes was to get a better idea of what they were working with so that they can get metrics. And it's one of the best programs out there to get metrics. So, I mean, we, we've obviously had a couple podcasts at Dark Rhino talking about artificial intelligence, machine learning, that type of thing. So in a DLP program, how, how available is AI and machine learning to get insights in order to help mature even maturely existing programs? I mean, I, I, as it stands today, that's still pretty infantile. I, I just please God, don't let us get the NGDLP. I don't want to see next gen DLP. <laughs> I mean, that's, I, I, that's, that's security. You got your NGAV, you got your NGFW. I mean, it, just don't with the next gen everything, right? Right. Um, but in all seriousness, uh, that that is that's the logical conclusion of where we are. But because DLP is ninety five percent people issue and a five percent right. technology issue. I think that it's it's going to be it's going to be something we see probably on the near horizon, and it's not going to make a uh, a massive impact in the implementation of DLP. It'll make a massive impact in the efficacy of it. Sure, it'll be super efficient, super effective, but it's still going to be coaching your users. Yeah. Unless you go in and say still every time hands-on. you violate, I'm going to fire you. You're you're not going to get rid of the violations, and as soon as you start doing that, you're going to get rid of your team. So. You won't really have a company to work with anyway. Yeah, like I said, DLP is one of those programs that you need an analyst on. I mean, a lot of these AI programs and things like that are going to put folks like myself and, and Nick probably out of jobs at some point because you can automate those first couple levels of tasks with, with a lot of these tools that exist. But DLP is one of those programs that you probably aren't going to be able to do that with. Sure, you can have it send out a, you know, an automated email that said, hey, you sent out an email or you sent out an email that contained confidential information, but any smart user is just going to delete that right away anyways. Gotcha. So, so that, that was kind of what I was thinking is how do we, how could you implement like a Jask with a Demisto 
uh, to launch a response for for a DM. You can, you can have automated. Yeah, you can have an automated email responses. You could probably have automated text responses. Maybe an automated phone call response. But I don't foresee it going down that road where you, like I said, this is this is a very customer centric security program, which which makes it very different than a lot of the other ones that are out there. I don't foresee this type of program moving away from having like a a true tier one or two analyst involved um, so that they can get out there and educate the users because it's a pretty constant flow. Yeah, and, and, and I think that, I mean, even like, you know, you look at Symantec, you look at Digital Guardian, you look at BitGlass, you look at you look at any number of different on-prem DLPs, endpoint DLPs, cloud DLP tools, no matter what, what it may be, um, you're, you're going to see that they often have the, we can send an email on an alert to an admin or to the user or tell them that we blocked their email. It doesn't. It doesn't stop the behavior. It just tells them to start hiding it, right? Because if it's not a human being saying, "Hey, I noticed this happened. Talk to me about what what's going on here," it is, which is an unfortunate situation. It's just if I do it this way, I don't get the email, so the system's not tracking me. Um, and so I, you know, I know if I put it on a flash drive, they're going to catch me. But I also know that if I print it, I can take it home and I can work on it, and no one will know, right? That's that's the stuff you want to avoid. You don't want to. There is no compassion. There's no seeking to be under uh, to understand. There's just seeking to be understood by that email that comes out of the system and says, "Do it this way," or "You can't do that." So I think automation is going to be really about cleaning up false positives. I think it's going to be really about understanding uh, user behavior, right? So you've got those new UEBAs that are going to be looking at, you know, and, and new. I, the past couple of years, it's not it's not a particularly, you know, recent thing, but they are they're looking at what's an abnormal behavior for a user. So that's going to be starting to tie into your DLPs. I think even Semantic is starting to do that with some of their, um, with some of their uh, components of uh, add-on components to DLP uh, where they're looking at user behavior, where, where you are, where you're starting to understand what is a, what is a baseline. This user sends credit card information every single day, all day long via email to outside parties. There's a good chance that's part of their job. You know, I mean, it's maybe it's a really crappy way to do things, but there's a very good chance that that is part of their job. I've never sent an email with a credit card number in my life to anybody ever. Won't <laughs> do it. And I do that today, or I start doing it a whole bunch today. The system should go mm, something fishy about that. Let's let's really investigate that. Right. And that's I think where you're going to start seeing artificial intelligence jumping into the DLP space. So some of those engines are are ancient yeah, too, right? For sure. Reg, reg, regular expressions, you know. So we touched on or talked about a little bit earlier the relationship between DLP and CASB. How does is it a Venn diagram of you know what I mean? Some of it fits within both. Is DLP within CASB? Is CASB within DLP? Yeah. So or is it more one of those all thumbs are fingers, but not all fingers are thumbs? Right. It's a little bit of all of that. Uh, So there are. I I tell people there are four primary areas of DLP. There are people will get nitpickety and call email a different kind of DLP. I, I don't, I don't care. There are, there are endpoint DLP. There's, there's network DLP. There's storage or data at rest DLP and there's cloud DLP, right? The, I mean, everything else is transversing your network or it is going to a cloud service for your email or it is on your endpoint and it's leaving from your endpoint. You, you look at your egress points there. Those are the, those are the primary DLP areas as far as I'm concerned. Uh, you know, I'd love to have that meme. Prove me wrong. <laughs> is my opinion, my opinion, prove me wrong. Um, uh, change my mind. Yeah, change my mind. That's it. Thank you. Um, but so, uh, if you look at those four areas of DLP, you have, you have your endpoint, you have your network, and you have your and you have your um, your storage or data at rest DLP options or components, right? 
Um, when you talk about cloud, there are DLP solutions that are specifically targeted at protecting your cloud. And a lot of times organizations, and anymore, you're starting to see organizations looking at the fact that you can do just DLP or you can do more. And the, the more is some DLP components, many of which organizations are caring about today, and malware inspection and identity and access management and uh, multi-factor authentication and step-up authentication and device restriction and all of those other components that you start seeing out of a CASB. So CASBs have components of DLP. They are not entirely full-blown DLP solutions. They don't protect a lot of the areas under which DLP is concerned with. Uh, and then they also provide a lot more than just DLP when you talk yeah, about your cloud them. components. So data inspection gives you the ability to look for malware. It gives you the ability to look for DLP. So why not do both of those things? But it's not going to be a, uh, but it is not a, uh, it's not a solely, this is your, a DLP solution. So it's, it's kind of hard to answer. It's CASB cloud access security broker, right? Security includes DLP. That, that that's really that's the best way I can say it is it's 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 a part of a CASB. Yeah. Not not the whole thing and it is not um yeah. it is not a necessarily all of the DLP components you would want. It's a very small piece within it. It's it's essentially segmenting out, especially if you're a cloud heavy organization, a DL, a normal DLP program is gonna maybe as deep as it's gonna go with the cloud is say people are uploading or downloading documents to this website. Or even we, from this agent. Exactly. You know, so if they're using Dropbox, we don't want them to use Dropbox. It doesn't go any deeper than that. So a CASB is kind of filling that gap of there are specific things within these cloud surfaces that we maybe don't want our users to do because it's, it has a potential for data loss. Yeah. You can turn those types of things on with a CASB. So okay. a company that's very cloud heavy, it's, it's certainly a good idea to have. Shout out Big Glass. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of BitClass. Uh, full disclosure, BitClass is a partner of Dark Rhino. So, <laughs> but I, but candidly, I, I'm I'm a fan of their their product because their technology works in a way that it offers organizations a lot of capability for a relatively minor amount of disruption to their users. Right, so you can you can have control over your cloud without turning their worlds on its end, and that's that's what. That's what every security organization, whether you're a technology vendor, a managed service provider, or security arm of some company, that's your goal, right? Is to is to gain a significant degree of control and capability and visibility into your sensitive information and or protect your your data without totally turning your company on its head. I I, I know this is not entirely true, but I can I can secure a lot of computers by sinking them in concrete and dropping them in the ocean. It, <laughs> it's going to stop them from being used. Right. Your people aren't going to be able to write their reports, but no, not many people are going to hack that, and the people who do are probably going to get in anyway. There's not a whole lot you can do to stop someone who can get the data off a computer sunk in concrete in the bottom of the ocean. That frankly. would be impressive. It's a motivated individual. <laughs> I mean, that's that's my point. I mean, and given enough time and enough yeah, resources, right. anybody's computer can be compromised. 100%. So. Anybody who's motivated to steal something, a DLP program is not going to do almost anything for those people that truly want to steal something. Well, there's this a, is a great example of a three-letter agency a few years back where, you know, you have the, all these physical controls in terms of metal detectors, all that good stuff getting into the building. You have all these IT controls, no flash drives, no downloads, etc. So a guy just brought in one of those, you know, disposable cameras, took literal screenshots, and then went home. Got, got the photos processed, good to go. Yeah, bingo. I mean, well, Edward Snowden stole stuff from... from from the the federal government was it the NSA at the yeah. time, yeah. So, Edward Snowden got stuff out of them. Uh, it Stuxnet got into the Natanz nuclear enrichment facility. I mean, there there are 
countless examples of a dedicated or intent individual compromising a secure system or what is believed to be a secure system. Exactly. DLP is for the 99% of the people that have no idea that what they're doing is potentially harmful. Yeah. And you're just educating those users to so that they could be safe so that those bad actors that are outside of the company don't have an easier way to, Prevent to those, gather yeah, those that. Yeah, easier idea. attacks. So it's locks keeping open doors. Uh-huh, 100%. Yeah. It's not about, it's not, in, it's not entirely about preventing theft. If somebody is hell-bent on stealing your IP, they're probably going to steal it. I mean, even if they just sat there at their computer all day and memorized it and then left your company and went somewhere and shared it. I mean, the, yeah. Yeah. the, the human brain is remarkable. We will find ways. We find <laughs> the path of least resistance to do what we want to do. And that's why, again, the whole you did something bad and you should feel bad is terrible feedback yeah. because you're just, you're just encouraging them to hide what they're doing, not to do better. Not to fix it. Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you as always for joining us. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit us at darkrhinosecurity.com.